about to hear part two to this episode of climate mayhem if you haven't already go listen to part one to get the full story as you know we're, we're talking to a lot of different people in this space but that are all for profit i think that's the first one that said it that explicitly by using market demand there that's actually the way they're planning on on creating this change oh, super yeah. interesting i think tesla using them as an example again is essentially whether they realize it or not, they're doing the same thing, right? Mm. I don't know if they had a design to be as altruistic as, as Pat, but but ultimately they realized if we make a really high performing car that's super mm-hmm. safe and looks pretty slick, right? Um, True. Then market demand is going to take over. Right. Right. Yeah. Good point. I'm glad you brought up Tesla. This something that Tesla has said is they actually provide a certain amount of the IP to the creation of their cars and specifically the electric engine, the battery, open source elements yeah. of it. And they're saying, we're trying to make it, we want more players involved in this. They're kind of seeing it as like a rising tide, right? Is there something similar going on here? Like, would you all love to welcome hundreds of plant-based meat companies or is it a little different? I, I, I think that could be very interesting to explore with you. Yeah, that's a good question. Short answer is, is we're not sharing our IP. Uh, so we're not going that far, but we absolutely want and need other plant-based meat companies to be successful. It does. Mm-hmm. It does absolutely. It, it doesn't help the mission. It doesn't even help our company if other plant-based meat companies produce less than desirable products and or fail. Mm-hmm. Uh, we need Beyond and Light Life and Gardein and all these other companies to be successful. And so that's really, and we realize that. Like we're we're competing against them right the second for dollars and market share of you know what is still look if the total addressable market is 8 billion people but right now the market we have access to is much smaller it's the, the market you have access to is, are the people that are open to trying the product and or eating the product right and it's mm-hmm. vegetarians and flexitarians and, and and others that have you know that are open right but they, let's be honest right like there's a whole bunch of people that aren't going to be open to this right now naturally mm-hmm. You know, we're competing for, for a smaller piece of the pie than the entire global population. But nonetheless, we absolutely want them to be successful. Interesting. You made me think of, I've been thinking about this a little bit because you mentioned it a second ago, alternative milks, you know, alternative non-dairy milk. Heck, in Seattle here where I am, we have a a non-coffee bean coffee, <laughs> non-coffee-based bean. Is this also kind of helping you guys, this idea of alternative sources of foods that we may already know and and, and are used to? I would imagine the non-coffee bean coffee is designed as, you know, like because coffee production being around the equator and everything else can be environmentally destructive. I suppose that's the angle with non-coffee coffee. It, it's a, it seems to be as well as the perfect cup of coffee, right? Because they're flavor scientists, they're sci- food scientists that started it, and they can make the perfect cup every time kind of idea as well. They've, I've, I've seen both of those, but it's just an interesting concept of we've got milk, meat coming from different sources, we've got milks coming from different sources, coffees. Um, it seems to be there's a groundswell building here in this alternative sources of food. I would think that would help us as it opens up people's minds. I think that um, one of the things that's 
I think very true, very apparent to people in the, in the food business is that while science has helped us make our crops more efficient and, and increase yields and improve farming techniques, we can't sustain the current like, I don't think the food supply can sustain itself the way it's currently operating, right? We mm. can't, certainly with from, from meat, right? Like 40% of dry land is devoted to animals and animal food production. So roughly, mm. by the way, humans live on less than 1% of, 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 wow. uh, of land. So, you know, 40% is, is either crops and or lots for, for animals, right? Interesting. Um, and if you think about who eats meat now, it's, you know, certainly the first world, one degree, the other, second world, mm-hmm. third world. But basically, as people get wealthier, they consume more meat. Mm-hmm. And we can't even, like our planet can't sustain current meat production, certainly can't sustain the meat production projected as the world's population moves more and more into eating meat. So we have wow. to think the way in which we're feeding the planet. And um, put it in perspective, you know, soy is like something like, I don't know, one or 2% of, of, cro- of, of, of land for crops. And all that soy could feed two times the population of the planet, something crazy like that. So we don't need animals to do, to provide enough protein. And I would imagine that like coffee, milk, everything else, it's a similar kind of vein, right? It's like, well, can we actually sustain production of this product to, mm-hmm. to, you know, to meet the growth without, without having a, a fundamentally negative impact on our environment? Coffee has to be grown within some degree of the equator. Same thing with bananas. Right. And right. Uh, that's an ecosystem that's, that's quickly disappearing as a result yeah. of logging and everything else. I'm glad you brought up the supply chain. That was one thing I was going to talk a little bit about or ask about briefly because it is the only place I've seen any sort of pushback about using, you know, plants uh, for for meat. Um, you know, but I see that you guys are, you know, you don't have a lot of ingredients in your product. It, it seems pretty pretty succinct and and clean. You know, how, how do you guys talk about your supply chain and your ingredient base? Well, our ingredients all come from essentially all come from a farm uh, here, you know, one way or the other, and it's it, they are all essentially natural ingredients, right? We uh, the majority of our product is textured soy protein. Soy is grown on a farm here in the United States. We use coconut fat and sunflower oil as the fatty products for our products. Uh, those all come from a farm, and we use uh, a binder called methyl cellulose, which is a product that's found in all sorts of food products to, to help bind it. And then uh, the other primary product, and it is something called leg hemoglobin, which I'll get get to. The rest of it is essentially nutrients and vitamins that that are added to the product to to complete the nutritional profile. Mm-hmm. So everything's essentially you know fundamentally from or grown and or grown on a farm one way or the other and then mm-hmm. the other so and there aren't a lot of ingredients in the product it just looks like a lot when you look at the it's like the problem is when you produce a product like ours you have to disclose all the, the vitamin e but you put in the scientific name for vitamin e and vitamin d whereas if you were to like break down ground beef you know, if you look at a package of ground beef it just says ground beef but if you really break it down to everything in there like we have to it would be a very long list mm. so it looks interesting and then leg, leg hemoglobin, uh, hemoglobin is essentially the found in every living thing. It's, 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 it's what makes our blood red. There's more of it in um, uh, red meat than there is white meat chicken. That's why red meat from a cow is, is red. And, and, mm. and it appears uh, we, we, we ferment yeast to produce it. And it comes mm. out as a red viscous fluid that looks, tastes like, like blood. And that leg hemoglobin is what 
goes into our product. It gives the cooked product the color it has. It helps catalyze the transition from raw to cooked and and oh, nice brown the product. It has a huge impact. Nice. Yeah. So blowing out a little bit bigger to the you know the thirty thousand foot view. Now that you've been in this space for a while and been thinking about this a lot, what do you really see as the next big step change in climate action or sustainability? Either that we need to do or that you see coming down the road. So beyond plant-based meat, I suppose, right? Unless you see something else, another step change or another big innovation coming, whatever it is. Well, it seems, to me, like, it seems to me that like one of the big things is that we do need to replace animals in the food chain. Uh, that's the big focus for Impossible Foods. Like I said, I think we've done a pretty good job of proving that you can make ground meat of one kind or the other from plants. And it's just early mm-hmm. days. I, I think... I think of impossible foods like the internet in 1995, like it's working wow. it's the promise of it, but it's just, it's really just beginning. When I think about like the next step change and, and, and where we need to go with the environment. I'm sure there are a lot smarter people than I, than me on uh, to answer that question. But I would say certainly transportation has got to, and, and power has got to power essentially mm. has got to be the biggest mm-hmm. thing. Right? Like our current dependency on fossil fuels is certainly not, not, it's not sustainable. The changing, you know, like, so we're going to need to find and utilize alternative sources of power, wind, solar, and even nuclear. And mm-hmm. it, if you start to, and then you think about like the impact of the changing weather patterns on, on water and rain, right? Mm. In, Interesting. There's as much rain in this, on this planet today as there was a, a couple billion years ago. The problem is it's not in the same places as Interesting. it was, right? Right. And, um, if you think about the Western part of the United States, if we're not going to have the snowpack and the rainfall that we need to sustain populations and 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 crop yields, we're going to need to find water from somewhere else. And you're either going to have to create pipelines for it from the East Coast or desalinate it. And desalination desalinization takes power, and that's expensive mm-hmm. unless you have really sustainable, yeah. right? Right. I think there's going to be some fundamental changes over time when, as it relates to some of those those concepts. Yeah. Yeah. It's a good call. I think we're we're trying to explore a little bit of all of this. I appreciate that. There's a lot happening in that on, on all those fronts, but certainly power and power as it relates to water is a huge deal. Well, and even as you go back to your conversation around supply chain and farming and and all of these things, right? It's all it's all there. It's all impacted, right? The all of these farms need need help in those 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 arenas as well, right? They need power, you know, less diesel powered vehicles, et cetera. So yeah, no, I think I think it's a good call out. For we sure. Need, we need impossible for transportation. Yeah. <laughs> we really do. Yeah. I mean, I think that there's, you know, you think about like electric powered vehicles that are charged from the sun, wind, or, or, or nuclear. Like that's a big, that would be a big change, right? For, yeah, for moving, moving products. There's other companies like Plenty that are doing interesting things, right? Vertical farming, mm. where the whole idea is mm-hmm. like vertical farm goes in right next to the, the source. So like interesting. would have a vertical farm in it. And all their produce would come from the vertical farm. So there's no supply and logistics challenges. Like solar panels in that way. What's that? That Like solar panels and being connected to the grid or being able to bring the power right there. Yeah. Right. Yeah. The battery pack that collects the power for you. Yeah. Battery storage. That's, that's really interesting. Plenty with an I at the end. We'll include that in the show notes. Uh, Plenty with an I or a Y. Uh, Okay. Yeah. I can look it up. What's that? Yeah, we'll look it up. That sounds really cool. They're, they're local, and and I know they're head of uh, head of the commercial business. Okay. Yeah, Very I bet. Cool. I bet a lot of overlap there. Uh, all right, Jacob. All right. I think it might be time. Dan, it's time for something we call rapid mayhem questions. Are you Let's Are you it. ready? Okay. I'm ready. All right. 
So it's going to be true or false questions. Okay. All right. True or false, 80% of the Earth's land is ice-free. 80% of the wor world's land is ice-free? I'd say that's false. That is true. How much yeah. do you think it is? Oh, oh wait. No, no, you, 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 you are correct. You, are, you, are, you got to say correct, I, not I true. I need my words correct. <laughs> that messes you up, yeah. Um, okay, so you're correct. correct. So how much of the world, how much of the Earth's surface is ice free? I'm gonna put put it at sixty five percent. It's actually big. It's ninety percent. Oh wow! Even more, even more. We're in the wrong direction. Okay. Yeah. All right. True All or right. false? Annually, animal agriculture produces more greenhouse emissions than every car, bus, truck, ship, plane, and rocket ship. That's true. That is true. That's that's right. She got that from Pat Brown on that. How I built this episode. All right. Thank you, Pat. True or false, China and the U.S. are the countries where meat consumption is growing the fastest. I don't think that's true. I think, I think, I think the U.S. eats a lot of meat and China eats a lot of meat. I think China's growing pretty quickly, but I don't think we're the fastest. You're right. right? It is false. It's actually, so it's China and Brazil has, is, are growing the Interesting. fastest. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. U U.S. Is, is slightly, you know. We already eat a lot. <laughs> we already eat a lot. Canada right. too, uh, UK as well, and then India just completely flat. There's something like eight billion pounds of ground beef sold in the United States every year. Now, wow, half a cow goes to ground beef. The other half, well, half of the meat on a cow goes to ground beef, and the other half goes to whole cut. Right. Wow. Billion pounds. What's whole wow. cut? Whole cut meaning like a steak or got it. I can't, I can't wait for that impossible steak, by the way. I'm really... I'm, <laughs> Give me both. That's going to knock my socks off. All right. True or false? In 2013, $53 billion went to livestock subsidies in 35 countries. True? That is true. That is true. And that's that's from the book wow. Drawdown. Yeah. That's 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 some subsidies. We Maybe we need some... It's a lot of, of subsidies. Uh, yeah. We talk about that ourselves, yeah. really. Oh, really? When, okay. when do we get subsidies? Yeah. I mean, the, right. the meat industry is heavily subsidized, right? Sure. I mean, oh, yeah. Sure. And even then, in COVID, uh, they closed a lot of meatpacking plants with people getting sick and dying because those places are pretty unsanitary. They can be, right? And that raised the price because of all the factories that had to close. Isn't that true? Didn't you notice that? Yeah, I think that is true. I think yeah. uh, and, and shifting demands. And, and shifting demands, I mean, too. Yeah. I'm fairly certain that there's a, there's a point in the future where we look back and go, wait, we used to do what? Right? Like, because right, most right. people are detached from... Our food system, we don't know what those slaughterhouses really look like and you know how it all works. And and I think if I think if you expose people to that, it would it would probably cut meat consumption in half. But mm. I think that there's a point in the future where where people look back at animal meat production and kind of just are are just whoa, we did I can't believe we did that. I can't believe that's right, it. right. Amen. I agree. All right, last one. Rapid mayhem question. True or false? Plant-based meat production leads to between 30 to 90% less CO2 emissions than conventional meat. That's true. Right. All right. Excellent. Uh, climate nice question. Nice job. Wow. Close. Yeah. Knocked yeah. him out of the park. I like yeah, it. Not bad. I like it. Not bad. He stumps people sometimes. So yeah, no, that was a good one. You did well. You did well. So one of the things that we usually ask right at the end of this, um, as we think about our audience and the people that might be listening, um, climate change is obviously huge in a lot of people's mind, not, but not everybody's like, we're all trying to figure this out. Like you said, like we don't put the sandbags out until the rushing water starts to come through. But if I do want to make some changes or I do want to try to do something, I mean, 
what is something that a listener could do today? Any soccer mom, any soccer dad, uh, you know, what can we do today that might help impact or, or stem the tide, as it were, of climate change? So I think the single biggest thing you can do is eat plant-based meat. And I'm I, I'm paid to say that, but I actually think... Right. Okay, so, and I'll put it in perspective. So the airplane I used to fly in the Navy burned enough, it was one airplane. We have thousands of these mm-hmm. jets mm-hmm. in the United States alone. One airplane would burn enough gas to power one car for a year. Wow. Okay. So whatever you're doing with your electric car or anything else is Mm -hmm. nothing compared to what we're doing with just one fighter jet. And that fighter jet holds a small fraction of the fuel that a 737 or a 757 or whatever. Right. Sure. Sure. It's not that you shouldn't get an electric car. I have a, I have a plug-in hybrid myself and I try to, you know, drive it on electric all I can. And, Mm -hmm. but I think that, something that's a lot easier and less expensive than an electric car is eat plant-based meat. Uh, Even if you replace 10% or 20% or 30% of your meat consumption with plant-based meat, Mm. you're going to have a profound impact on the environment compared to virtually anything else you do. Interesting. You haven't purchased, I mean, look, I I wasn't exactly a diehard vegetarian or environmentalist before coming to Impossible. I've always been an outdoors person. I've always been environmentally conscious and recycler and all these things tried to limit my impact on the, on the planet. That's true. But I've gone in and out of being a vegetarian. My wife's been a vegetarian since she was very young. It's hard, um, man. So we tended to, it's hard. Yeah. We tended to eat a fair amount of vegetarian meals, but, but I would consume meat as well. We haven't purchased ground beef at my house in over three years and wow. I don't miss it. You know, it's part of my job, but it's also like we eat, we make everything that we make from ground beef before we use impossible. And, I, and I'm a foodie mm. I'm into food. I love food. It's one of the reasons I love mm-hmm. my job. And I know I do not miss it. We make chili. I do not miss it. We make bolognese. Uh, I do so nice. I think that like your average consumer can substitute one meal a week or better yet, 20 meals, a week, but, but one meal a week. <laughs> sure. Back to the wow. Great. Love it. And I love the tie back that, that we, we start talking about your Navy career and, Maybe aviation career, and you brought it back. That was a that was a great callback to that. I appreciate it. <laughs> so, where can we find you? Where can we find Impossible? Both online, but also elsewhere. Where where can we find Impossible these days? We're in over forty five thousand restaurants in the United States. Obviously, Burger King, Starbucks are very widely distributed. We're also at White Castle and Red Robin and Cheesecake Factory. Wow. So there's a large number of large chains that carry our product. You certainly can find us there. We're also in 25,000 grocery stores. So nice. there's roughly 40,000 grocery stores in the United States. We're in 25,000 of them right now. Pretty much any grocery store you can think of, including Trader Joe's and Costco, we're there. There's a long tail of grocery stores, roughly 10,000 that are fed through what's essentially distribu- distribution. And we're slowly making our way into that part of the, the ecosystem. Those are the mom and pops and the one and two and three sort mm-hmm. of core chains. We're slowly making our way in there. But I think your average consumer can find us. There's, I don't think there's a person on this, on, in this country where we're not within a couple a mile or two. Nice. Nice. I, I want to plug two valuable links for Impossible real quick. So impossiblefoods.com forward slash locations. That's where you can actually just type Good in one. your zip code city. Boom, you can find the closest restaurant or grocery store to you. Maybe you can walk to it, right? And then number two, impossiblefoods.com forward slash recipes. I just found this this morning. 
you, you guys have a cookbook, but the recipes in there, you, you literally never have to turn back to real no. meat with these yeah. recipes. And, yeah. you know, you can make a chili, you can make a taco. It's like, you name it, it's there. Super cool. It is cool. We put that that book out a few years ago. Chef J. Michael, who leads culinary here, was a big part of that. He's an awesome chef. That was the Impossible Cookbook, right? That's what it's called? Impossible Cookbook. And those recipes that you find on the website are also, I think many of them, if not all of them, are also in the cookbook. But there's some amazing, you're right. Like if you, I, I mean, again, probably biased, but I don't think there's anything that anybody's making with ground beef right now that you couldn't make and be wholly satisfied by using Impossible. I don't think there is. Nice. I don't think so either. Dan, thanks so much for coming on. That was yeah. amazing. Yeah, that was, that was a lot of fun. That was Thank fun. You guys. I appreciate it. Really appreciate it. Okay. Have a great Take one. care, Dan. Boom. How was that? Well, there's more. So keep listening. We speak with climate tech leaders and change makers in EV, reforestation, solar energy, flood mapping, and a whole lot more. Also, you can give feedback or check out show notes at our website, climatemayhem.com. Thanks for listening and see you next time. Oh, don't forget, if you found this valuable or interesting at all, please hit subscribe. That way we know you're loving it. So just go to Spotify or whatever podcast app you're on. Hit that subscribe button at the top. Production was done by Daniel Steenkamp with cover art by Harrison Glenn. This is Jacob Kubica with my legendary colleague, Ty Wolf motherfucking Jones. Peace out, Climate Mayhem. Out. Thank you.